This week on the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast, we're talking about the Battle of Fredericksburg. Welcome to the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me today are Rail Splitter Nick. What's going on, people on their desktop computers listening to us as they drive to work? <laughs> All right, and Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Splitters. So it is a special day in Rail Splitter Nation uh, and across the state of Illinois, the state of Kentucky, the United States, North America, the whole world. Today, December 13th, 2018, is Mary Lincoln's 200th birthday. Uh, So a very happy birthday to the spirit of Mary Lincoln. Uh, If you are interested in celebrating this special day, you can tune in to our episode, I believe it's 34, uh, 34 or 35, right in that range, where we had an entire episode just about Mary Lincoln with... Dr. Stacy Pratt McDermott, who is a scholar on uh, Abraham Lincoln and Mary Lincoln, um, who is a historian by profession and a delight to have on the show. She was an amazing guest. Uh, she's actually hosting a party in Springfield for Mary Lincoln, literally as we speak. She told folks to show up at 9, and it is 9.01 on my watch. So check that episode out. Uh, it's a good episode for... Folks who don't know much about Mary Lincoln and folks who know a lot about Mary Lincoln. And there's a delightful um, part in that episode where I referred to Mary Lincoln as Mary Todd Lincoln. And Dr. McDermott did a fantastic job of putting me right where I belong and making sure that she made the point and told me that I was wrong. And I hope, hopefully I took it like, in a, like a grown-up. <laughs> um, no, it was total class and well said, and I needed it, um, and I was wrong. So um, so there's that. If you're interested in why we call her Mary Lincoln as opposed to Mary Todd Lincoln, um, there's some of that. There's some interesting... That was my favorite part when she put you in place. <laughs> it was it was pretty amazing. I You know, I was, uh, you know, much respect. Especially si- since I watched a YouTube, like, uh, presentation of her where she made that point going into it. And I chose just to keep that to myself. <laughs> I, I knew about it too from the presentation I'd seen with her. And hoping that you would make that mistake. <laughs> and it turned out perfectly as planned. I mean, I mean, it was more ex- probably better executed than Order 6-6, you know, um, at the end of the Clone Wars there. Um, 66, Order 66. Right, right. Am I correct like on that? Think, I'd I think like it was to in think the... Nick and I planned that out together, but we totally didn't. No. <laughs> I think you're confusing uh, Attack of the Clones with the Clone Wars and still wrong because it was in Revenge of the Sith. But that's me flying my nerd flag proudly. Uh, but no, that wasn't actually, it was a good exchange. And we may have played it up a little bit. She definitely, I was in the wrong and she was great about uh, correcting me, and I uh, appreciated it immensely. And I have not said Mary Todd Lincoln in reference to Mary Lincoln since, other than kind of like referring to that mistake. So, um, and I think part of my um, my screw up with that was that I always liked to refer to her as MTL when I was tweeting because it was fewer characters and kind of sounds cool. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, in my head, I always had it as MTL. Uh, and I've switched, changed that, I think, to either Mary Lincoln or Mrs. Lincoln, so which would have been her two preferred titles. But uh, nonetheless, happy birthday to Mary Lincoln. Uh, we did want to open the show with uh, chatting about her a little bit before we get into the Battle of Fredericksburg, uh, because while the battle also has a an anniversary today, it's not quite as um, nice round number. Not a, it's not a it's no bicentennial. Um, so. Uh, I don't know, Mary Nurk, if you wanted to share some thoughts about Mary Lincoln on her 200th birthday um, and maybe, you know, maybe cover a little bit of what we talked about in that earlier episode. It has been a while. Or just some thoughts that maybe you've had uh, that the Lincoln Twitter sphere has really gone above and beyond, I think, today. It's been really a a pleasure watching folks tweet about 
uh, Mary Lincoln and the positivity around her um, with her troubled life as a mother of, you know, losing children and a widow and, you know, her treatment later in life and how history came to know her for many years. It was really nice to see um, how much respect there was for this very important first lady. So what thoughts, Mary or Nick, did you have on Mary Lincoln on her 200th birthday? Well, I agree with what you said. It's been wonderful to see on social media just all the positivity surrounding Mary Lincoln, because I think for a long time she's had a really bad um, just reputation. And it's wonderful to see historians like Dr. Stacy, you know, kind of setting people straight on that, uh, that, you know, there are a lot of myths and surrounding her and just to correct those. And like, yes, Mary suffered from mental illness, but you know, she was also, she was a good person and she also suffered a lot in her life too. And I've been following along with Dr. Stacy today and she's had some really just wonderful tweets to, to honor Mary. And I have to say, I did think of you, Jeremy, for one of them. Uh, it was call me Mary Lincoln or Mrs. Lincoln or Mrs. Abraham Lincoln. I am not Mary Todd Lincoln, damn it. Hashtag Mary Lincoln 200. Um, I, that was one of my favorites from today. And just, she's gone through and tweeted a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so if you're looking to learn more about Mary Lincoln, definitely check out Dr. Stacy on Twitter. It's at Stacy PhD. Um, she's also got um, a really wonderful book. It's, it's short, sweet and to the point. Um, and it's called Mary Lincoln's Southern girl. I think it's called Southern girl, Northern woman. Hopefully I'm getting that right. I'm not very good with book titles sometimes, but uh, it's an excellent book by Dr. Stacy Pratt McDermott, and I recommend it for anybody that wants to get into Mary Lincoln. It's the perfect introduction for it. Yeah, I agree with everything about Dr. McDermott. I mean, she did a great job um, on the episode talking about it, uh, being concise and um, just giving us stuff that gets overlooked. You know, I think Mary Lincoln was definitely she was a survivor. I mean, um, she was a tough lady, tough cookie. She didn't take no crap from no one. Uh, you know, to lose a child, to lose two ch children early, um, to lose her husband, literally as you're sitting there, um, in such a tragic way that she did. Um, and then she lost Tad at a relatively young age, financial issues, um, a lot of negative stigma surrounding her, and to keep battling through, I mean, I, that's... Like, a role model. I wish she, I think now we definitely look at it in a better light at that time. I don't think she got her fair due, um, especially um, by some of the people who were trying to document Lincoln's past at that time. So she is a survivor. She is an American hero, I think. I think she's one that is overlooked. Um, and I definitely think um, a lot of us can learn a lot about life and overcoming tragedy by looking into Mary Lincoln. Yeah, I agree with those points. I think it's also uh, worth noting. Um, I think we, you know, um, those of us who who care about uh, mental health and mental health care, both for young people and for adults, you know, she, um, the fact that she may have needed some and didn't get it, I think is important historically and maybe toward um, at least starting people on a path toward understanding what what may what mental health may uh, be, right? Because it wasn't something that was even really talked about in those days, but just the trauma that she would have gone through losing um, two children and her husband and then a third child um, when Tad passed at age 18 um, in an era where talking about that and, you know, any sort of therapy was just non-existent. Um, and, you know, her husband being the great person that he was, but, but largely retiring to his, not retiring, but, you know, um, leaning into or falling into his work as his um, mechanism, coping mechanism, um, largely is reported that he kind of um, went to work to help uh, deal with a lot of his melancholy and depression, uh, grief, all those kinds of things. So, um you know, it's uh, just a fascinating story. I think their whole dynamic is, is just so interesting and often um, one of those things where the historic record is is somewhat vague. And I think that's, a you know, can be a good thing or at least lead to interesting thought. And, and Dr. McDermott talked about it very well, how um, she had some disagreements with Dr. Burlingame over 
Mary Lincoln and their marriage um, and, and what that did for Abraham Lincoln, um, which he kind of talked a little bit about. So it would be interesting to hear the two of them, and, and that was one criticism she had of Dr. Burlingame's work is that he was a little, um, I don't know if harsh is the right word, or just maybe took in more of a negative approach to to Mary Lincoln. Um, and in, in his first volume of his multi-volume, Abraham Lincoln, A Life is Two-Volume Work, he very much, one of his theses is that um, their strife in their relationship drove Lincoln to, to toward work, and he immersed himself more in his work to stay away from home, uh, which may be an unfair assessment of their marriage, maybe underselling his work ethic, um, because it's hard to, to know that for sure, and that's a little bit of speculation, but fascinating nonetheless. Um, and there's so many different angles you can go when talking about Mary Lincoln. You can talk about you know, how history has remembered her, how she's been portrayed in um, um, media, movies, all that kind of stuff, television shows. Mary Tyler Moore famously played her. Obviously, Sally Field played her. Uh, there's the, you know, sexist um, Geico ad where she asks Abraham Lincoln if, a, you know, asked her to body shame her in a way, asking her if her dress looks fat and, you know, him quit, you know, the whole is honest Abe always honest or whatever that stupid commercial was. Uh, you know, so there's quite a lot of um, uh, her portrayed in the media. And then, of course, in, uh, in our favorite movie that we love and hate uh, equally, the Vampire Hunter one, she's uh, probably most inaccurately <laughs> played by, I don't even know who she's played by in that movie, but not not an actor who I would see and be like, wow, there, that, that is Mary Lincoln right there, <laughs> for sure. Um, not nearly to the degree that uh, maybe Sally Field or, or, and really I thought Mary Tyler Moore's portrayal was pretty good too. Um, maybe a little over overdone, I think, because of the time, perhaps, in Lincoln history and interpretations of, of Mary Lincoln, but... Um, at 200 years, I think her, um, our knowledge about her and her reputation has probably never been stronger. So, Mrs. Lincoln, you're looking, looking fine historically, at least at uh, at 200. So, um, it is kind of a fun bicentennial uh, for her. Um, and I remember nine years ago, um, well, I guess almost 10 years ago now in February, when Abraham Lincoln had his 200th. Um, how much love there was and outpouring and publicity there was for him. It's nice to see a little bit uh, for Mary as well, uh, who would be uh, 200 today, born December 13th in Lexington, Kentucky. So, yep, happy birthday, Mary. Any any quick parting thoughts on that before we move on to Fredericksburg? I think you summed it up very well. Happy birthday to Mary Lincoln. Hopefully everybody's getting crazy at her birthday party with Dr. McDermott. So yeah. probably doing a, sh- a shot ski. I would think Mary would want that done. Mary Lincoln, as well as Canadian Mary. I, I will yeah. say, yeah, Mary, when you posted about it, when you like, because like sometimes, you know, you get notifications from Twitter or whatever that pop up on your phone. So one popped up today and I, it was a little bit out of context that you said something like, oh, I'll be sure to salute Mary tonight on the rail splitter. And yeah. I'm like, you, you are like, you know who you are, right? Like you're married. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. it sounded, and then I, and then I kind of, then I, then I click the show thread. And I'm like, oh, right, right, right. Now everything makes sense. So, Dude, but nonetheless, we'll, was, we'll salute all the Marys in Rail Splitter Nation. So, speaking of the confusing text, I was seeing stuff pop up, and I and I see this toast, and then like I didn't know at this point, I did not know Dr. McDermott was gonna like, on Twitter she said she's doing this toast out at the restaurant. And we had this idea of maybe trying to get it on the show. And then, so Jeremy text, or I think it was a text, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, we should have her show the toast. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, did she get a Lincoln toaster? <laughs> that, like, make to- like, and I'm like, I was really confused. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? But it must be live. It must be today. We have to see this toast from this Lincoln toaster tonight. Well, then I, and then I was even more confused as I read it more. I'm like, why are we going to have her do it over the phone? <laughs> and it wasn't connecting at all because I was kind of at school, just kind of like glancing at it real quick. Wow. And then finally, when I saw Twitter, I was like, oh, a toast. Ah, <laughs> uh, not a piece of bread put in a toaster that actually burns in Lincoln's face, which, by the way, I just put a patent on earlier before we got on it. Wouldn't it be better if it was a top hat? Or yeah. maybe like one on one side, one on the other. 
yeah, top hat, his silhouette on the other. Yeah, I was really confused. So you come out with multiple <laughs> models. So, uh, and real quick, we'll put a quick plug in. I've been pu pushing it on social media quite a lot, but we do have Rail Splitter merchandise available for you or your loved one in this holiday season um, or afterward. If you'd like to get a logo hoodie or a t-shirt or coffee mug, head over to teespring.com slash stores slash the Rail Splitter podcast, uh, or just look at our social media. There's plenty of posts. Um, just a quick update from last week. I did get some merchandise that um, I had purchased in the mail this week, and it is pretty good quality. Um, I think it's definitely worth the price. Um, the coffee mug, they kind of the way they printed it, there's like an extra logo in the middle, which at first kind of looked weird, but it kind of grew on me. I actually kind of like it. So, um, so um, definitely uh, recommend those products. And it is just to reiterate what we said last week, it is, this is not a fundraiser for us at all. We're not trying to make money. We're just trying to spread the word. So uh, if you wear a rail splitter merchandise at a Civil War site or a Lincoln site and take your picture, that would be super, super, super cool. So um, head on out there. The shipping was very quick. I ordered mine while we were on, while we were recording last Thursday. Uh, and I got the clothing shipped. I think I got that on Tuesday and the coffee mug came today. So if you order today or probably over the weekend, uh, today's the 13th, you should very easily get your stuff by the holidays if that's what you're interested in, or if you're trying to drop hints to your loved ones to buy that stuff for you, tell your loved ones, you know, just kind of passive-aggressively insert into a conversation that, hey, you know what, if you order this for me, it will come by Christmas, so, or whatever holiday you're celebrating, maybe, um, but it'll be here by the 25th if that's something that you would like. How's the sizing on that shirt? It looks pretty normal. It looked pretty normal. True, I guess. I don't know. There's a okay. very. I'll put it this way. There's a really. There's sizing charts on there, um, that so that'll tell you what all the sizes are. Um, I'm not sure like how much the hoodies would would shrink or whether they shrink at all, uh, but they do seem to be pretty high quality. So I, I do. I was okay. I was quite happy with that. So. Uh, do we sell anything to? Well, obviously we know Mary bought fifteen coffee mugs yeah. from last episode. Exactly. Anybody buy anything? Yeah, that's. Uh, there's been some sales. I think you'll see some. Uh, yeah. You'll, you'll see some uh, people wearing stuff at um, different sites. You know, I mean, hopefully uh, you won't have too many, so you won't feel like you know, like you like you showed up to prom with the same prom or tuxedo as somebody else, because that would be a disaster in the high school world. But uh, no, hopefully we'll see him popping up some places and we'll get it going on social media. I've been pushing his extra credit in my class so they can pass. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Hey, right. Billy, you got that 10%. You buy this shirt, I'll put you at a 61. But you got to wear it. See, it's not just buying it. You got you to gotta wear it. And you, wherever there might be history nerds, you have to wear it because that's that's what we're looking for. Exactly. Get the word out. So. Um, if you could handle, you know, show your show your rail splitter fandom and help spread the word, we'd appreciate it. So, uh, so uh, happy birthday, Mary Lincoln! If you want some rail splitter merch, it is available. Uh, and if you're comfortable with sharing a, a picture with our social media, we'll definitely try to post that out as well, because it'd be kind of cool. So the uh, the topic for today, and we'll see how long it takes. We may actually uh, roll this over into uh, an episode. Not next episode, but the one after that, because our next episode is going to be the first installation of our book club, which we'll talk about toward the end of the show. Uh, but it is about the Battle of Fredericksburg, and I think that this is an important uh, battle to talk about on an Abraham Lincoln podcast because of its role in the bigger picture for the war. I think the implications from this battle are far more reaching than just the battle itself and those who fought and died in it. Um, and I think it uh, is extremely important for how the rest of the war would go, specifically with regard to how each side viewed each other and about um, kind of solidifying that, that uh, message or the idea of just how costly the war was going to be. Um, and I think it is a very um, sometimes overlooked battle of the eastern theater because it doesn't quite have the romanticism around it of antietam or gettysburg um or either of the bull run or manassas um but yet uh casualties were very high and i think long-term implications were were possibly farther reaching um than 
probably than Second Manassas and could be right up there with some of the other big, bigger battles in the Eastern Theater. Uh, so Mary uh, prepared quite a lot of show notes for us, so I'm going to turn it over to her to kind of set up the military side of things. We'll take you through the military piece of it, kind of who, who the key players were, what the battle was like, um, and then we'll bring it back to a little bit more where Abraham Lincoln's um, point of view would come in, which is what did it mean for the war in general, um, and and what what the implications were, kind of what were the ripple effects of this particular battle, both historically to you know for always and for the immediate consequences of the war. So Mary, why don't you just kind of set up set us up a little bit with the military side of things? Okay, so the battle is fought from December 11th to December 15th, 1862 in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, As Jeremy said, it's the Eastern Theater, the Civil War. Fredericksburg lies relatively close to Washington, D.C. at only 45 miles away, and it's only 58 miles north of Richmond, which was the capital of the Confederacy. It's right on the Rappahannock River, which which will play a key role in the battle, as we'll see later on. So leading up to the battle, Lincoln needs a victory as he fears the public will lose confidence in his in his administration. In the Western Theater, he's encouraging General Grant to advance upon Vicksburg, Mississippi, which Grant will do and continue to do through the winter of 1862-1863. And finally, on July 4th, 1863, as we know, Vicksburg finally falls and the Union gains control of the Mississippi River. Um, But Lincoln also needs a victory in the Eastern Theater. While McClellan has managed to defeat Lee at the Battle of Antietam in September of 1862, he had failed to aggressively pursue his army, and Lee gets away. Shocker. Yeah. (laughs) Slows. In early November of 1862, McClellan is ousted as commander of the Army of the Potomac, and he is replaced by a very reluctant General Ambrose Burnside. So do you guys have anything to add about Lincoln um, and maybe what he was thinking at this point? Well, I think it's important to note, especially as you look at how this battle unfolds, that the big complaint, and we joke about it, and I think the jokes are funny and appropriate and well-earned, about McClellan having the slows and being reluctant to attack. So it's important to note that in the back or front or all over Burnside's mind is that his predecessor had tons of pressure on him to fight and didn't and ended up being removed even after um, a key key victory or favorable draw I suppose at Antietam um, he still was was removed so with McClellan being out and Burnside being in I think it's important to note that Burnside almost kind of has as a mandate that he needs to fight um, because, you know, when, when the, when the person who was fired before you, the, you know, whatever the biggest complaint about that person is now that's, that's your job to fix. Um, so I think, um, not to give Burnside a complete, um, you know, reprieve from mistakes he made in Fredericksburg, but I do think that it was important to note that he realized it was among his mandates to, to fight and to engage the army. Um, and I think that that was probably communicated to him verbally, in writing, non-verbally, implied, all the way from Lincoln himself, that, that the, the implication here is that McClellan didn't fight and we need somebody who will. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think also the fact that he was reluctant, it would take a very strong individual to be able to evaluate the situation and then realize he needed time and to be able to vocalize that. And Burnside was not that person. I mean, he was already reluctant to be in charge, you know, so there's probably some self-doubt already going in there. So the combination of that and definitely the fact that he knows McClellan has frustrated Lincoln because of him being slow. Definitely. It's not a good combination of the two. Right. And I, and I do want to kind of, I don't know if I want to walk back the point I was making a little bit, but at least maybe clarify it. Burnside had established himself as someone who was not afraid to attack, especially if you look at Antietam. Specifically at Antietam, you may be familiar with what's known as Burnside's Bridge, where there was just massive carnage of people under Burnside's command continually trying to cross uh, the creek, Bull Run, right now, not Bull Run, Sharpsburg, Antietam Creek, um, 
uh, trying to cross Antietam Creek over that bridge and thousands of casualties. And that was like the, along with Bloody Lane, one of, you know, the two kind of iconic high casualty areas of Antietam, which ended up being the, the costliest um, single day in the war in terms of casualties. Um, so Burnside kind of established himself weirdly similarly to how he's going to establish himself in Fredericksburg as someone who will press the attack, even if it seems like it's not working and maybe stick with it. Um, and this is kind of one of those times I think when, you know, with, when Lincoln's really searching, searching for that, that next general. And we kind of alluded to that when we were talking about how he finally ended up with Grant. Um, and I do think it's also important to note, and Mary, I'm glad you brought it up, that general Grant was engaged in Vicksburg. So you have this, um, kind of interesting crossroads in, in Grant's kind of career where Shiloh had gone well, he was definitely a rising star and it, and Vicksburg was just ended up being a siege and just took a really long time. Um, so you have a lot of stuff going on in the whole time Grant's involved in Vicksburg, uh, which he does finally, um, achieve victory right around or at the exact same time as Gettysburg. So kind of where, where the war was in 1862, I think is important as well. And I think that sometimes that's easy to overlook really 1862 in general, you know, I think it, you know, you kind of go from Shiloh and want to talk about Gettysburg or, um, but, uh, or Antietam and then go straight to Gettysburg. But this is a really important, um, part of the war turning point, if you will, or at least, um, uh, and to, to see where the, where, where the major players were leading into it, I think is important to note. So I think that was a point well made. And I do um, agree with you about Burnside and this, I think it's this kind of pressure on him to, to attack and to not do what McClellan did wrong. Um, Burnside, obviously his reluctance is there, but he doesn't want to fail. Um, and he's 38 years old when he takes this position. So he's around the same age as the other generals. Um, and he seems to have lacked confidence in himself. Some of the correspondence that I've read, um, but as you said, like Lincoln saw something in him, you know, he was what he did at Antietam as well as um, earlier in 1862 before Antietam, he had had an independent command of coastal operations in North Carolina. So he had that going for him too. And the other reason was he had no political ambitions at all. Um, and that I think was important to Lincoln and when Lincoln offered him the position, Burnside said no. And then Lincoln said, well, either way, McClellan's gone. And the story is that apparently Burnside said, well, who else are you considering? And the name Hooker was brought up. So he was considering Joe Hooker and Joe Hooker and Burnside. They do not get along. They clashed at the Battle of South Mountain, which was fought um, a few days before the Battle of Antietam. And they just never saw eye to eye on anything. And one of Burnside's staff members noted that despite his reluctance, he worked very hard as commander. And that's the one thing I took away from looking at the Battle of Fredericksburg. Um, despite how things go, you can see that he's he's trying and he's working hard as commander. And when he took over the Army of the Potomac, he did a little bit of reorganization. So he made a three-wing structure which is very different than the Army of the Potomac that we see at Gettysburg um, in July of 1863 when Meade has control over the Army at that point. So um, there is the right Grand Division that is commanded by Gen General Edwin Sumner and the center Grand Division that's commanded by General Joseph Hooker and the left Grand Division that's commanded by William B. Franklin. Now, I don't know about you two, but the only name I really recognized that stood out to me was Joseph Hooker. And I think, I mean, I'd heard of Sumner and Franklin before in, in reading about Fredericksburg, but I know next to nothing about them, unfortunately. And I think that again, um, goes back to just how it, like just understudied, if that's the right word to use that this battle is that these generals aren't as well known as say like Meade or Hooker or Burn or, you know, Burnside or Hancock are known like they're relatively not known in the civil war. 
Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, because if you look at the supporting cast of this, I mean, those names definitely jump out to you more. Mead, Sickles, Reynolds, uh, Chamberlain, and a lot of them get their fame at Gettysburg. Um, and part of that is probably because it is such a lopsided Union loss uh, mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, the Union ended up winning, so you don't end up hearing much about it. Um, yeah, but I would agree with that, too. Yeah, and we just, I think it's an example, too, of how much the Army changed between, like, less than a year passes, and, you know, he's got these three grand divisions, and then there's obviously a, another reorganization, and you have a completely different structure at the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, and so the Confederate Army, as we know, is is led by General Robert E. Lee, and his other commanders there, um, his first corps is commanded by General James Longstreet, later fame and get his famous at Gettysburg, and the Second Corps is commanded by General Thomas Stonewall Jackson. And the Cavalry Division is led by uh, Jeb Stuart, who will not be late for this battle. <laughs> I think I think it's important to compare those two as you did, where you have Burnside with the three-wing three wing structure in the Grand Division, um, which, you know, difficult to manage. We don't, you know, the, the commanders didn't do that great a job, but then when you when we talk about Lee, I think especially the more and more folks learn about uh, Lee and the history, like how strong, particularly Longstreet and Jackson were, but also Stuart, um, they're kind of heralded as as heroes, military heroes in the South and the Confederacy, but um, they truly were very effective generals. Um, and you don't really get that to the same degree in the Union side. We tend to look at who is the commanding officer of the army of the potomac as a whole um and even when you're looking at like sherman it was you know after he had his own army you know it's like the 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 core commanders aren't quite as as popular or um really as effective it's probably i mean i think it's deserved i think jackson and longstreet were both very effective um and that was probably one of the issues in the union army is they just didn't have um commanders quite as effective i don't know if it was from a structural standpoint or uh, or what but it it just didn't they just didn't kind of emerge as heroes in the same way and um, a lot of the defeats um, interestingly and maybe it's just like historic interpretation but it feels like the defeats on the union side are always on the shoulder shoulders of your hookers and mcclellans and burnsides um and gettysburg is on picket you know, you know, I mean, it's on Lee a little bit, but, you know, everybody remembers Pickett's charge and very few people are like, you know, he was commanded to do so yeah. uh, by Robert E. Lee against the advice of Longstreet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and Grant gets known as the butcher and Lee doesn't. And they were both suffering enormous casualties. And Lee was very aggressive with attacks that had very high costs. So just kind of an interesting, you know, how, how we remember each, each different part of the, of the, each side of the war. And it feels like the general, all of the generals on the South seem to be recognized a little bit more. And on the North, it tends to be kind of that rotating crew of commanders in the army of the Potomac. So, uh, but I think this is a good example of how Burnside's division commanders don't, you know, are kind of lost to a lot of folks who are into the Civil War while the Corps commanders on the Confederacy are very well known and possibly deservedly so. And, you know, the the one commander from Burnside that comes away, you know, most well known is General Joseph Hooker. And as we'll see later, he is the one that speaks out against Burnside at Fredericksburg and his actions just seem a little bit more, I don't know, he's probably of the three, the most forward and the most, like just, you know, if there's something that he didn't want to do, he wasn't afraid to speak his mind. And I I think that probably plays into, um, you know, not to, <laughs> spoiler alert, that him getting command of the Army of the Potomac um, in early 1863. Um, and so these two armies that are assembled at Fredericksburg um, represent the largest number of men that ever confronted each other for combat during the Civil War. There are 100,000 Union men, 
which I had to look that up a few times because I can't even like, just trying to visualize that that many men um, and 72,500 Confederates for a total of 172,500 men. And they're all converged around this town in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And so Burnside's plan originally, when he was given command of the Army of the Potomac um, in early November of 1862, was that he was going to open with a feint towards the rebels at this place called Culpeper, and then he was going to turn southeast and make a rapid move of the whole force to Fredericksburg with a view to move upon Richmond from that point. Um, Burnside argued that seizing Fredericksburg, um, that the Potomac Army would be on the shortest, most direct overland route to Richmond, while always staying between the enemy and Washington. And he, Burnside stated, I will endeavor with all my ability to bring this campaign to a successful issue. So I think that goes back, Jeremy, to what you said about, like, he does not want to fail. He wants to get Lee. Um, and Halleck and Burnside meet and the plan is debated. Uh, General Halleck takes the plan back to Lincoln. And after some discussion with his cabinet, he agrees to it. And he writes Burnside and says, the president has just assented to your plan. He thinks it will succeed if you move rapidly, otherwise not. I like that little qualification in there, like, yeah, I, yeah like I'm gonna, I'm gonna endorse this and say it's gonna work, but give myself a little bit of an out. So, if it doesn't occur rapidly, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna basically automatically rescind my endorsement of this plan. Uh, so in order to, so November 14th is when Burnside starts marching and in order to get to Fredericksburg, um, oh, I just want to add to that the plan seems pretty simple, but all things being equal, like you've got to count on Lee not somehow getting in your way. And he, you know, Burnside is banking on staying ahead of Lee and being able to get towards Richmond and cut Lee off and, you know, effectively, hopefully, end the Civil War. Um, so in order to get to Fredericksburg, though, Burnside needs to cross the Rappahannock River. And to do this, he's going to need pontoon bridges and supplies to build them. And combination of, like, bureaucratic delays and just things being held up, this does not happen as soon as it needs to. Well, Those damn pontoon bridges. Yep. So it held everything up. So Burnside's ready around November 14th, but he can't. He doesn't have his supplies. And they don't arrive until late November, early December. In the meantime, General Lee has managed to set up at Fredericksburg with his Army of Northern Virginia, meaning Burnside's going to have quite the time executing his original plan. Um for all intents and purposes, he basically can't do it now because Lee is at Fredericksburg. And I, this is a very important point because I think it, it really focuses on, on a very common misconception about the Union Army. I think a lot of times we oversimplify the whole war as this industrial giant against this like motivated um, kind of grassroots effort with you know, the, the industry in the north and the factories and, you know, turning out all kinds of ironworks and they had the railroads and they had far more people, um, kind of this, this idea that it's this giant productive logistical machine when you have this extremely important war. And, you, and I think you're, you're right, it could have ended the war, effectively ended the war. And the reason it didn't was because they were held up by logistics and they weren't able to get the supplies they needed in the time that they needed it. So this whole idea that, you know, this the North was this well-oiled machine that had the railroads delivering all kinds of ironworks and ammunition and supplies and they were just, just much more sophisticated in that regard than, than in the South just doesn't hold up here. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't more advanced. They certainly were. They certainly had more industry. They certainly had more control of the railroads. They certainly had more more people and more munitions. But this idea that, the, that it was this David and Goliath um, type situation with regard to logistics is not the case because Lee was able to be quite mobile 
and supplied and occupy Fredericksburg while Burnside was kind of caught um, just waiting around for those supplies to come. So um, I think oftentimes that gets oversimplified into this, you know, this logistical juggernaut, uh, which is a bit of an overstatement. Yeah, and I think, you know, there were some points where Burnside was questioned for waiting um, by his, his commanders. And he just, it's described, Sears describes it in his book, Lincoln's Lieutenants, as this fog um, that Burnside would get in his mind where he was like, had his mind set on one thing. And all he knew is that he had to have these pontoon bridges to to cross. But, you know, as I said, by the time they get there, um, it's too late. And yeah, you raise excellent points about it's not just David and Goliath. Like, this is an example of where, yeah, you know, they've got the industry, but it's not coming through. Yeah, and I also think you have Lee understanding the situation very well. Yeah because he could have possibly attacked or, you know, not taken up a defensive position in Fredericksburg. But I think he, you know, made a, it's a low stakes gamble because if you're wrong, you don't really lose anything. But he said, well, if we, if we wait here and they attack, we've got them, we've got, we've got the position that we need. And if they don't, we'll continue, continue the chess match of moving until we find a, the battlefield where we're going to engage. Um, but to you know, imagine Lee setting up in Fredericksburg, knowing where Burnside was, and then seeing those pontoons come and, and being ready for it, as opposed to what could have happened if, if they were there, um, as Lincoln said, rapidly. Yep, exactly. I feel like it's kind of like you go, Burnside had to be like, you go into the store, and you're like, damn, that line looks long. And you're like, or maybe this is at the grocery store, and you're trying to choose which line. And then you jump in it, and then you're like, all right, yeah, okay. And then you're waiting there, you're like, shit, I should get out of here. You know, he's sitting there waiting for the pontoon bridges. And then you're like, damn it. No, 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 I'm going to stay. And then finally just get, I don't give a shit. I'm staying in this line. I've committed to this. I'm doing it this way. I feel like maybe that's what happened to Burnside. He just got stuck waiting there, and he's like, damn it. I'm just waiting for the damn pontoon bridges. He yeah. picked the longest line yeah, that was yeah. moving. He picked the longest line that was moving the quickest when he saw it. But then he got in line and was like, "Exactly." That happens to me at the port here in Border Crossing every single time I cross the border. I get stuck in the line where the cars are being held for five minutes each, and I'm like, "What is going to happen to me today?" And then I get up there and I'm, you know, knock on wood, through pretty quickly, but. Never fails. Yeah. You know, somebody's probably, like, got all kinds of coupons or something in that line at the grocery store, and it's going to take forever. Yeah. Um, but I do think there's also an element of it, too, where he was probably saying, like, I, you know, I can't stress enough the importance of these pontoons. I need these pontoons. You need to give me these pontoons. I, I have to have them. And then at what point do you say, like, well, you know what? At this point, forget it. <laughs> I don't need them anymore. We get, you know, like, it's not going to work. So, like, it's, I think it's kind of hard to unring that bell. Um when you're talking about an army of a hundred thousand people, I think that's, I think yeah. that's key there. Like trying, cause I think oftentimes too, and I hate to kind of keep saying how oftentimes we look at the civil war this way and it's wrong, but I, I don't know how, how good we are at emphasizing the difficulty it is to, to coordinate everything. Um, when you, you know, so like when, when you talk about battles lasting days, you know, when battles now last minutes, but it's because like, to call up a unit and to get them in position and to get them positioned to fire in the Civil War took for took a really long time. Um, so, you know, for like like lead order pickets charge and by the time they lined up and then they started making the charge, like for that, like it's hard. For, I think it's hard for a lot of us to con- conceptualize that that took hours. It's like well, all they all they had to do was line up and walk across a field, and all the Union had to do was shoot at them. Like, how does that take so long? Well, you're talking thousands of people. So imagine. Like if you're at a sporting event with like 40,000 people at Wrigley Field, like you've got, you know, a few dozen officers. Like, okay, we need to coordinate all of these people to do exactly what they want, what we want them to do in a coordinated way at the same time in a very high-stakes situation. So, um, so for him to get those 100,000 troops where he wanted them to need the platoons was a major undertaking. And then it would have been, it would have been a lot to ask to say like, okay, it's not right. 
we're going to abort, we're going to relocate, whatever, try to flank him, whatever, whatever you would do. Like, are we going to try to draw him out of Fredericksburg a different way, siege it, whatever, I don't know. But I think that was the problem with Burnside, and it wasn't easy to undo. Is like he, he Once he was committed, he was committed, um, and he wasn't going to get out of line, so to speak. Well, I think that plays into fact, too, that there's – you know, there's a lot of talk. Gaza Generals hits on this, too, in the book about how he could have just got northern way across the river yeah. because the Gaza Generals talks about how Hancock saw, like, a herd of cows go across. But there's a lot of other factors that go into that, too. The You know, the river rising, it rises too much. Then you can't cross that after you move all those people. It's just not like Lee. It's just not like it's two feet over crossing and then nobody's going to see you and it's that easy i mean there's a lot of factors that get put into it um which makes it you know that's just looking at history you know you got to look at the whole picture doing the actual research to see all that and not just cherry pick these little things which we've talked about this show a lot to understand the whole complexity of the situation yeah he can't just all of a sudden if he's if he's at a certain place and lee is at a place where he can see Burnside. Burnside can't just like, oh, we're going to move and cross downstream. Lee's going to be like, oh, where did he go? Like, right. and Lee, Lee, of course, is going to find Like, he'll find out. So I see why, you know, kind of why he waited, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, and it's not like you can just take tens of thousands of people and be like, all right, we're going to cross. We're going to go a quarter mile down and we're going to cross. Yeah. Like just that's just not how it works. Like you just can't do it. And, and and you always risk like Nick was saying if the river rises, you risk now splitting your force or leaving a small percentage of it on one side vulnerable. Um because mm. you've got to set up artillery to cover the crossing, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um and I'm not a military expert by any means, but but I think that the what ifs of history are next to impossible to debate because there are so many unknowns like why did they say no to that plan there was any number of factors that we'll never really fully understand unless you're McClellan then you're just an idiot yeah well yeah exactly yeah and then you're just slow yeah at least give it at least try it so I don't know maybe maybe we're being hypocritical I don't know maybe 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 that was McClellan's problem the whole time well you can't if your horses are tired that's true I uh, uh, I was gonna say McClellan might be a bigger jackass than Fillmore. And then I, then let's, I realized let's not get carried away. Let's not get carried then, away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. let's, still, like, let's not go there. So, do we want to keep going with Actually, our you know what? discussion? Yeah, we can. Let's go ahead and we'll make this a two-parter. We'll pick up the the Fredericksburg conversation. Uh, after we do our book club episode next week, but we do, uh, hopefully everybody stays on the line because we wanted to talk about a couple other things. One, uh, we talked an awful lot about Burnside. Of course, everyone knows the facial hair was named after Burnside, but did you know that along with Winfield, Hancock, Ulysses S. Grant, after he was president, Phil Sheridan, uh, were all, they all have one thing in common along with currently Oliver North. Do either of you know what this is? I didn't know this until about five minutes ago. These are all presidents of the National Rifle Association. Ambrose Burnside was the first president of the NRA. Wow. This is a fun little tidbit. Yep. Uh, So the NRA first, first president, Ambrose Burnside. So he was not interested in politics as a general. However, he did go into politics later in life. Um, and he was the governor of Rhode Island and a U.S. senator from the state of Rhode Island as well, um, and right up until just before his death. Um, so um, another little, what I just kind of find interesting about Burnside is he was only 38 years old at Fredericksburg, mm-hmm. which is younger than I am now, Like, which just seems like you see pictures of him, and I just assumed he was older than that. Well, they, they all look so much older mm-hmm. than, than what they are, like, like Mead was born, I think, eighteen, eighteen or something like that. So Gettysburg, he's he looks a lot older than what he is. They all do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Grant was quite young, so yeah, that always puts in perspective. Just you know, yeah. how I gotta get my butt in gear, I guess. I know. Yeah, uh, I'm like I'm, you know, I'm like I'm 36, and I'm like looking. Burnside was 38. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I can't imagine doing that. Yeah, different times, I suppose, provide different yeah. opportunities. But um, and he was a West Pointer, so um, yeah. you know, he had kind of you know had already been in the military. Um, did serve in the Mexican-American War. So, you know, a, a pretty impressive career in life, really, for, for Burnside. Um, and uh, interestingly, was also the first president of the National Rifle Association. Uh, so next week, we are going to start our book club version two, or, or series two, where we're talking about Lincoln's Greatest Speech, which is Ronald White's book about the second inaugural. So feel free to join along reading with us. I think it's only like 80 or 90 pages that we're looking at for the first installment, which would be the first four chapters of that book. Um, so please uh, check that book out. It looks to be a quick read. I'm a little bit behind, but I will get there by the time uh, the the show comes around. So uh, join us for that next week. Um, please take a moment to give us a rating or review uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We love the feedback, but it also helps us get our name out there a little bit. So the more the more often you're reviewed, the, the more you kind of show up in search algorithms and things like that. So we just want to get to that audience. And we do read our reviews on the air. Um, so I do want to read the most recent review, which uh, I forgot to check last week if we had a review. Um, and I looked after the show, and it turns out we do. Uh, so this was submitted on November 30th from JRunner1993. Uh, he uh, gave us four stars, so thank you, JRunner, for the four stars. And uh, the title of his review is Love the Podcast, But. Uh, so his review says, Please stop bringing in 21st century politics to a 19th century podcast. Jeremy, you are guilty of this the most. And although I don't like 45 either, I don't need slash want to hear the millionth person preaching their dissent for him. I listen for Lincoln, not for the current president. It would be nice for uh, for once to escape somewhere that Trump is not mentioned. Some podcasts, 71 and 72 in particular, were so blatantly pointed against Trump that it was hard to listen to. And there were so many bash Trump sessions, uh, and there were more so bash Trump sessions than anything. Other Rail Splitter episodes have helped, have also slipped into unnecessary Trump quips, and I, like many others who have mentioned it would like to see it stopped so thank you jay runner for the feedback um i appreciate your candor um and we've said it on the show and i don't think it's appropriate necessarily to believe the point now but um it is i believe not um proper or complete or would not be a true show about any politics specifically american politics without bringing it toward her into today's environment um, i think it's important to do that and personally uh just because you kind of kind of addressed me specifically you know i my beliefs are much as part of me as as my eyes or nose or any other part of me um, so I, I can't really separate my beliefs politically from my beliefs professionally or recreationally in this podcast um and I will definitely take this feedback because it's not intended to be a bash, a bashing of anyone, even including the current president. Um, but you know, it's it's sometimes difficult for me to express my values and beliefs about the the beauty that is in every human person, and to see it disregarded is just tough. Um, and I think we're all just wanting to see more of Lincoln everywhere in life. Um, and it sounds like, as a fan of Lincoln, you you may kind of join us in that, where we all just want to just really wish there was more Lincoln in our politics. So um, perhaps I need to put more Lincoln in my podcast hosting. Uh, I'll give it a shot, but um, nonetheless, we, I do appreciate the feedback, and, and we do as a crew. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to, to really share your thoughts. Um, until now, I don't think we've mentioned the current president on today's show. So I guess we're doing, we're already moving in the direction that you want us to. Uh, but we will from time to time. You know, I, I will continue to do it from time to time. Uh, but I do appreciate your feedback, and I just wanted to let you know that um, we appreciate that, and hopefully you keep listening and, um, you know, don't feel bad about fast-forwarding through it if you don't like it. That's totally fine. Uh, but everybody's welcome here. And um, uh, so once again, thank you for the feedback. And many others of you, if you could leave us a review, um, you can kind of pick your username. So if you want to pick one that doesn't apply to you, or you could just 
give us a certain number of stars and not write a review if you don't want it read on the air. That's fine too. Um, but please consider leaving a review. And when I, think- I bash Miller Fillmore, I mean it, and I do it <laughs> intentionally, and it is usually pre-thought out. Yeah, so because- all of mine is all are all of those things. But yeah. uh, so yeah, I mean it 100 percent when I go after that jackass Miller Fillmore. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, leave us reviews and continue to tell Jeremy what he should not do. Yeah, there you go. Um, and also keep in mind that we close every show with a famous quote from the second inaugural that, you know, I strive every day to, to live and I don't always do a good job, which is, um, you know, of course, malice toward nine and charity for all, or in Nick's case, uh, malice toward one, uh, and charity, right. charity for most. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, we do like to talk about social media posts that resonated with us. I have a feeling we may kind of all pick similar ones this week. Um, the ones that I would pick for our of the people by the people segment um, are uh, Dr. McDermott's tweets today. She did a really good job of honoring Mary Lincoln's birthday, um, as she does. She she honors Mary Lincoln a lot. Um, I also want to give a quick shout out. She's doing work now with the Jane Adams papers, and she. Um, being a historian by trade, it was very fascinating to talk to her about what exactly that work is. And for young people to understand that there are careers in history, um, it's just not, they're just not as publicized as careers in, you know, medicine or law or accounting or something like that. But um, she did a really nice job of talking about Mary Lincoln in a real and also positive light. Um, you know, it was all obviously accurate and well-informed she's she's an authority on the subject but very um very nice i guess on her birthday just to to really take some time to look at, at mary lincoln so all of those tweets check them out just go to dr stacy phd on twitter very good stuff so mine this week is um from my friend john who he's also the tattooed historian you can like his face on um like his page on Facebook. Um, he's also on Instagram as well as social media, as well as Twitter. He's inked historian. Uh, yesterday he was at Fredericksburg and he posted photos, some very moving posts because one of his ancestors fought there. Um, and one of them that, um, really resonated with me was the battle of Fredericksburg was one of my ancestors, second engagements and his unit, the 130th Pennsylvania infantry would suffer heavy fight heavy heavily trying to carry this position and he's got a picture of the sunken road where his um his ancestor fought and he's got some great videos photos um it's a great place um to learn about the battle of fredericksburg is on his facebook page the tattooed historian sweet mine's going to michael altman a tweet he tweeted two days ago, like-minded academics should form stables like pro wrestlers, complete with t-shirts, hand singles, and catchphrases. That made me think of our new store. I mean, we're well on our way to being a staple. The rail splitters are right up there with the Freebirds, um, with Evolution, Degeneration X. Um, so we are fastly climbing the ladder of the greatest staples. All we need now is a hand single, guys. Um, because we got catchphrases, we got t-shirts, so we got to work on that. I feel um, like there's got to be like a hand motion that indicates that we're splitting rails, you know, yeah. like swinging an axe, something that, like that. I mean, and obviously we walk down, when we walk into the ring, there's axes on our shoulder, of course. Yep. The only stable ahead of us is probably the four horsemen for right now, but Ric Flair, we're coming for you. <laughs> You may recall an earlier episode when we read a iTunes review about Nick's inclusion of wrestling. So I think Mary, you're the only one who has not been called out by name in a in a review. So, um, and we appreciate all of them. We take we take them all for for what they're worth. And, and again, we appreciate it. So, uh, also we always we always have a feature, and I'm just going to throw one out this week um, called "This Week in Lincoln," where we talk about an interesting example of Lincoln showing up in pop culture. Um, I'm going to go a little bit outside the box this week, just because someone at work mentioned a classic film and i'm like you know what there's a there's a loose enough lincoln connection where we can just throw one out there you may remember uh, a little film from 1987 starring sylvester stallone and robert loggia and some little kid about the 
vastly underrated sport of arm wrestling called over the top. Uh, are you either of you familiar with this um, incredible shining yeah. light in the history of cinema? Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's um, epic. It's a it's a terribly great, greatly terrible. 80s movie about a uh, over-the-road truck driver who's fighting for custody of his kid and using arm wrestling as a vehicle for something. I don't know. Super 80s, super slice alone. But his the main character's name in this movie is Lincoln Hawk, which is just wow. an amazing name. And if I were in that pro wrestling stable, I would hope to be called Lincoln Hawk. So, like Lincoln Hawk, he's named after Abraham Lincoln. And it's an arm wrestling movie from the 80s. Um, so anyway, if you're interested in some very loose, loose, loose Lincoln connections, sliced alone and over the top's name, Lincoln Hawk. Um, and the villain eats a cigar. <laughs> I don't know why I threw that in there, but it's an interesting little scene. Uh, so uh, next week we will do our Rail Splitter Book Club Part Two, Version Two, Version Two, Part One, Chapters One through Four of Lincoln's Greatest Speech about the Second Inaugural, and then the week after that we will hit you up with some Fredericksburg right around the holidays. So we hope all of you are handling the stress of the holiday season well and preparing in your gift buying and all of that, whether or not it includes a Rail Splitter merchandise. Uh, we hope your holidays are going well and you're staying safe in the cold weather and all of that good stuff. Um, and we would like to thank you once again for listening to the show and keeping us going week after week. Uh, we look forward to the next couple of episodes. So uh, for Railsplitter Mary and Railsplitter Nick, I am Railsplitter Jeremy signing off for another episode and reminding you to continue to walk the world with malice toward none and charity for all. We'll see you next week. <laughs>